on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Where does Talladega Knights the ballad of Ricky Bobby rate amongst Will Ferrell's run in the 2000s? How much is left when you remove the improv comedy from this film? Was there any sign prior to this movie that John C. Riley could be this funny? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and the 2000s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me is the shake to my bake, Matt Tilby. How are you? <laughs> shake it before you bake it. I am uh, doing very well, Mr. John O'Peck, Australia's John O'Peck. Uh, who are you in this situation? Are you are you Ricky or are you Cal? Which one? Well, I don't know which one's which. <laughs> well, I, I guess... You're you're the leading man for comedy rewind, so yeah. you, you technically have to be the uh, the Ricky Bobby here. Sure, so. yeah, you can be Cal, and you can take over at some point in the podcast, and then I'll beat <laughs> well, you thank again. You. At the end. <laughs> yeah, just claim it, claim it right back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are of course talking about Talladega Nights, 2006 sports comedy. I guess um, it's a racing comedy. I don't know. I can't think of any other racing comedies. Can you? No, I mean, like you could technically, I guess there's there's comedy elements to movies like The Fast and the Furious, but then again, like they're even racing movies. Yeah. Well, the the first maybe one or two, and then they're just like going to the moon and and (laughs) yeah. I feel feel like they're they're just car movies more than racing. Yeah. Uh, They sort of developed in that sense. Yeah. Anyway, this, uh, as I said, 2006 comedy, uh, quite a quite a big notch on the belt of Will Ferrell's 2000s. You know, we had Anchorman was kind of where it blew up after some, like less significant appearances in movies like Old School, and then it was just the the Will the Will Ferrell show, and from Anchorman it was it was this and Step Brothers and you know the Elf and the list goes on. And this was kind of right in the middle, I feel like. Yeah, like this This was definitely like the mid to late 2000s was, I'd say personally for me, Will Ferrell at his peak. I think the, the sort of the strike rate that he had with some of these movies was fantastic. And I mean, even if they weren't sort of um, critically, you know, mm-hmm. Marvels, film Marvels, um, they were certainly cult classics and, and you know, well received from fans even years later like obviously we did Zoolander would have been last yeah. year early last year and obviously to this day one of my sort of favorite comedy movies but yeah he's always had that sort of knack of having movies that will indelibly live on as, as just like comedy favorites no matter you know how old they are and and to me this was you know obviously moving into the, the first point of like the sort of personal experiences or memories like this was one of the I guess the first movies that i sort of was acutely aware of that sort of culminated with um that love of sport that i had uh yeah i was i was in the 10th grade when this came actually no this was 2006 i'm thinking i was thinking it's 2008 so i was in uh eighth grade yeah so yeah so like right in the midst of when i was starting to like love formula one and a lot more of like motorsport and was watching v8 supercars and a lot of sort of stuff on on channel 10 so it was like getting that sort of you know that you know introduction to the world of, of motorsport really um 
and it sort of came along at a, at a really good time. We, I think we picked this one up uh, at our local Video Easy, the Albany Creek Video Easy. Nice. Remember Video Easies? Like yes. That, <laughs> such a just such a throwback. But um, yeah, like we we picked that up, um, and yeah, it, it it was something that I, I watched with my dad, and we could, as I said, like we were big Will Ferrell fans after Zoolander and, and the like, and yeah, we just had a great time. Yeah, I, I don't have a specific memory of the first time watching this, but I was at uni. It was my first year at uni and it was probably either at the cinema or very shortly later on DVD that I checked this one out, I reckon. Um, and it was a really big one with my friends. I remember we had like an exchange student from the States um, the next year whose name was Ricky Bob Holtz. So he was just Ricky Bobby. No way. Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think I just looked at it as another great Will Ferrell movie in the middle of one of those runs he was having. You know, mm. these these big stars, these big comedic stars just tend to go on these runs, whether it was Jim Carrey in the early 90s, Adam Sandler, late 90s. Uh, this was definitely Will Ferrell's between you know ben stiller had had a run in the probably earlier 2000s and then it was will ferrell's turn i think uh, but it was also my introduction to probably john c Riley in terms of comedic roles because i'd seen him okay. in more dramatic pieces like he's kind of got a pedigree prior to this in like pt anderson movies um he was in boogie nights for example and he did like some Scorsese movies, so he he wasn't really known for his comedy chops. And then he just shows up in this movie as if he can kick it with anyone. Like you put him next to yeah. Will Ferrell, who's improvising and trying to make you laugh, and he can just hold his own as if he's one of the crew in Anchorman or something. And he doesn't miss a beat, and it really set him up for kind of this bizarre career that he's had since then where he can do either the drama or the comedy and he's been so good in, in both well it's 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 interesting you say that because like i've i've i'm obviously a little bit younger and it's like i've always seen john c Riley as like the the perfect sort of supporting cast the perfect mm. like um the sidekick to, to will ferrell in in a lot of those movies obviously he did uh, walk hard as sort of like the one where I sort of associate him as the main character yeah um, but yeah it's interesting you sort of say like you'd never really seen him as a comedic actor before then because it's like this was sort of the introduction for me when I was younger to Sasha Baron Cohen when that, that's the next thing I was going to say yeah <laughs> was like because this was this is I think the same year as Borat yes it was um, big and year for I was, him <laughs> well yeah massive I was not um I was not probably acutely aware of like Ali G and yeah. like his, his previous work. Um, and then also on top of that, the way that you were sort of like saying you'd never seen John C. Riley in, in these sort of comedic roles. That was me watching this for Michael Clark Duncan. I've yeah. always seen him as a, as a dramatic actor, obviously all of the, I think it was in yeah, green mile. Correct. Yep. Armageddon. Yeah. He had a, yeah, he like, was a bit of, bit of comic relief in Armageddon, but not like a straight up, you know, comp comedic yeah. role. Yeah. But like this was, I, I felt like he was just He's serious enough funny. to be that the accompanying character. But yeah, there were some definite scenes we'll get to later, which were, were fantastic. But yeah, it was a very interesting mix in this film of, of characters who alongside Will Ferrell, who 
probably in in other films or, or sort of other combinations probably don't fit but it was it worked mm. quite well yeah i mean amy adams is one like i probably still didn't know who she was for a long time after watching this but she was yeah. certainly like a big star already she'd had an oscar nomination before this movie came out so to see her now with everything she's done since this just as like a smaller role comic like comedic role as well uh is it's, it's a little weird but it's cool um and yeah going back to sasha baron cohen i had seen some Ali G I'd seen the Ali G movie um this was his first live action role in Hollywood though so it was my introduction to him playing something that wasn't either Ali G or Borat and I thought it was really cool I remember thinking like okay he's just gonna be around now he's gonna play different roles he's not just gonna do the things that we know him for and he's moving from the UK to to Hollywood. I, I, it's hard to... I'm trying to think if that really is what ended up happening with him. He has had some variety of, of different roles, dramatic and, and yeah. comedic, which is interesting. Um, but I think he puts so much into his original pieces like The Dictator and Grimsby and stuff that he probably focuses... A lot more on, on writing and, and producing things than just well, he, he's up. almost like he's almost like typecast as like the evil foreigner or not evil but like the the very sort of obvious foreigner like the uh, dictator. He, he'll never play just like a british a, a normal british person like he well, is then, in real life <laughs> well yeah absolutely but didn't he he did because um he was in the trial of the chicago seven pretty yes. recently yeah um as like a really sort of uh good um, Boston dramatic role so Played, like, he had a Boston accent yeah yeah so it was like he's capable of it but it's just like for everyone it's like he's Borat he's Ali G you know he's he's the mm. dictator it's like he's, he's almost typecast as these very you know outlandish sort of foreign roles which I think kind of does him a disservice because like as we said with the Chicago 7 like he's pretty good at what he does mm. yeah he can definitely play like a more nuanced character what was the the movie he played the, the it was kind of like a family film where he played like the uh train station attendant or whatever oh i i, I vaguely know what you're talking about but i don't think i, I was remember gonna quickly what look it up it was i know he did he did a voice for um luca the disney film yep. that came yeah. out last year uh but yeah i can't remember that one uh, it was uh, Hugo. Hugo. Ah, oh, okay, the Scorsese one. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. Interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, this was kind of, I guess, it, it, for a lot of people, it would have been his introduction to, to a, like, just him like, in general, because a lot of people wouldn't have seen the Ali G show and that kind of thing. And it was yeah. obviously, I'm guessing, slightly prior to, to Borat, and then. That was probably all they knew him for for a bit longer. But anyway, um, we will move on to Rotten Tomatoes score. So this film made 163 million off a 72 million dollar budget, which is pretty high budget for a comedy back then. Mm. And the box office isn't like amazing. I'm sure they probably would have hoped for a lot better than that compared to some of Will Ferrell's other films. But uh, it's it's still you know, 163 million is still a lot of money, 
and they probably would have expected uh, probably higher mm. rates of, of box office success in places where NASCAR was probably quite you know popular the deep south in America like Florida yeah. and, and, and places like that but yeah I mean it's still pretty good for that sort of budget for sure yeah that's the other thing I was going to say was this is probably like a lot of people's introduction to NASCAR in general <laughs> yeah definitely it's like something that's on TV over here or anything um, but yeah, did you want to have a, uh, you know, throw a guess at, at what, where it's sitting on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I will go out and guess very much like uh, high 60s, low 70s, maybe like a, a 71 or something. 71 on the dot, Matt Tilby. Give yourself Ooh, a hand. okay. <laughs> very good. <laughs> uh, seems yeah. to be in that sort of ballpark for a lot 71. of uh, the, the sort of Will Ferrell... Um, sort of boys club of the sort of uh, era of movies yeah yeah it's it's probably a lot better than Anchorman was received by critics um, I've got some comments here from Time Out they said it's broad but not crude dumb but not witless clever but still not spittingly funny <laughs> stupidly brilliant in other words I like that because it's true like there's a lot of stuff in here that's really dumb uh, yeah. and really broad but the, it, it still just makes you laugh and there's enough clever writing and improvisation and just random quips and humour with along with some of the really clever gags like uh, the hospital scene which we'll get to and <laughs> just some of the other stuff that goes on it, it, it's um, yeah it is a good combination of those things while you know, I've got a, a negative review here from the Daily Mirror that I can also relate to. It says some of the jokes here are funny. Most are not. I probably don't agree with that. While the characters are simply too silly to make us give two hoots about them. Worse, the movie collapses under the weight of a ton of syrup in the second half. So, yes, this is not a flawless film by any stretch. And he, the, whoever wrote that, is, I think, is completely right. The characters are so zany and off the wall that you don't get to see their heart or like you know you don't really develop like a affinity for them as as people they just seem like caricatures so when yeah. ricky bobby's life falls to pieces you're not like really feeling bad for him because he was such a you're jerk. not rooting for the <laughs> yeah. underdog yeah yeah he was such a jerk at the start of the, like for the whole first half of the movie that you just kind of like yeah well serves you right um and yeah, yeah it, the, the pacing is kind of a little bit like it does like accelerate, uh, forgive the pun, but in the second half where he's kind of fighting to get back in to the to the scene and everything. But um, yeah, overall, um, I feel like seventy one feels about right. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of the humor is very. I don't want to say run of the mill because I feel like that's doing the film a disservice, but it's very typical of this sort of Saturday Night Live cast mm -hmm. um, movies of the era. Um, the characters are, like, you, you could obviously describe them as the everyman, and especially in, in NASCAR and in sort of the, the mid-2000s, a lot of the drivers were your sort of everyman, you know, personalities. And even then, like, around the sort of mid-2000s, like, it almost sort of plays off that real-life sort of thing that was happening in the sport at the time where people from formula one were all you know other sort of 
motorsport classes were coming to NASCAR who were French or like there was um, Juan Pablo Montoya who was a big star in, in F1 at the time who came to NASCAR and I think is still racing in NASCAR in some capacity today. So it's like they've obviously taken inspiration from real life and sort of said, mm. well, look, why don't we get someone to, to play that? I guess it, it's it's sort of the, the evil foreigner, the, the WWE style <laughs> thing and, and really play on that. But there yeah. is some sort of like, you know, some semblance of, of reality and, and sort of, um, you know, true true events happening in it. But yeah. Yeah. I think I read in the trivia for this that they did some public appearances in character and the NASCAR crowd did boo him the the french character simply on introduction like oh french guy boo i think so, i think that yeah. that's that was the easiest way in the in the mid 2000s obviously like 2006 they were only a couple of years removed from war on terror it's like mm-hmm. anyone who isn't from the u.s dirty foreigner you yeah. know you got to boo them so they've obviously you know picked a, a really sort of solid character in in sasha baron cohen playing jean gerard so i think that was a good fit yeah Definitely. I, I'm trying to think of anyone else that could have done it. <laughs> um, number one song when this movie released. In Australia, it was September of 2006. Do you want to throw any guesses out there? I was not listening to a lot of uh, <laughs> top 40 hits at that point. I was uh, very much, you know, I had my Wolf Mother CD. And oh, yeah. I think I just, just got my first like, iPod or something. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, you might not even know this one then. It's um, I I wish I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair, by Sandy. Oh, Tom. I know the song. Yeah, I hated it, but yeah, I, knew it was I, I didn't thing. like it either. I, I was I was very into punk rock, so I kind of resented that a song with punk rock in the title was going to number one and was like a folk song, <laughs> and talking about like flowers in in the hair. I'm like. The, punk rockers have That's mohawks what punk is about. Yeah. <laughs> i was very Those like everything i stand for yeah, exactly i was very um miffed about that but i've i've matured and i forgive her and i'm sure it's a great song <laughs> well she, she's probably rolling around in her royalties yeah, from it now she so doesn't she... care what i think yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> what have you done for me lately um will ferrell has just done the shrink next door which is a pretty interesting series with him and paul rudd playing these real life characters it's based on a podcast so if you haven't checked that out it's on apple tv plus and it's very against type for both of those guys like paul rudd's playing this really skeezy unlikable uh psychiatrist totally not what we know about paul rudd you know super likable always funny but and then will ferrell's playing a guy that's kind of uh, manipulated and taken advantage of, so a bit gullible. Yeah, yeah, he's like the meek kind of um, the victim in in this real life kind of uh, relationship. So yeah, if you haven't seen that, dear listeners, check it out. I think we can say it's eight bit approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, John C. Riley, apparently, he was in this thing called the Chris Pizza that everyone's talking about. I don't really know anything about it. But I just see there's a lot of Twitter chatter about Licorice Pizza. Yeah, the the new uh, PTA movie. Um, yeah, I have heard decent things about it. Haven't seen it either. Um, all I hear because I'm you know I listen to a bit of Triple J is how the basis from Heim is is okay. you know the the lead character in the film. So, but that's all I've heard. But apparently it's quite good. So. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check it out at some point. 
Uh, in 2020, he did a series called Moonbase, which is about these guys like training to go to the moon. It's basically a comedy. Yeah, I'd say it's comedy. Uh, it's not amazing, but it's if you like him and some of his more dry kind of humor, then it, it works pretty well. Uh, this is an interesting one for us to talk about. He's playing Jerry Buss in Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers. Do you know about this TV show? I had heard rumblings about it. I yeah. hadn't seen anything um, about the actual show or anyone really talking about it, mm. to be honest. But um, yeah, it's an interesting sort of role for him to play. Um, I feel Definitely. like we might have to to get the band back together for a special <laughs> uh, Hoop Dreams review or something and, and yeah. sort of run down it. But uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd heard that they were doing that sort of like Lakers biopic uh, of... Mm. Of this sort of like dynasty, the, the 19 era, uh, 1980s yeah. era um, Lakers that they were doing. But yeah, interesting role to play. Definitely. Uh, I'm really curious to see how the, the actors go portraying Magic and Kareem. Like that's not an easy thing to do for people that are so well known. No. <laughs> um, I, the, the reason this is even on my radar at all prior to this was I remember Adrian Brody getting cast as Pat Riley. And thinking, okay, okay, yeah, I can, I can kind of see, see that, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I missed that John C. Riley was was cast in that, so it's coming out this year. It's also developed by Adam McKay, the director of Talladega Nights. So oh, it's <laughs> cool to see that that relationship continued. Um, I think we'll we'll look a bit at Adam McKay here because he's had a pretty interesting career, and as far as like, what have you done for me lately? Don't Look Up is his big thing at the moment that everyone's kind of talking yeah. about. It's very polarizing. Most people yes. I know have enjoyed it, but I've also been aware that the critics haven't necessarily loved it. So it's it's, it's an interesting one. I, I quite liked it and appreciated what they were trying to do. Have you checked that one out yet? No, I haven't. But yeah, I'd, I'd heard uh, mixed reviews like, mm. like you had and... I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see what what goes on with it because I think you know if if Adam McKay's on board with it, it it's from what I'd seen it, it it's tough to really call it a, a straight up comedy. But yeah, yeah, it's an interesting sort of yeah. look to it. Yeah, it's very much a dark comedy, I guess. Um, kind of like a dark version of Idiocracy in some ways. Yeah, it's very much a, a social commentary. But just looking at Adam McKay's career, it's it's just it's just wild. Like he started out with Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers. That's pretty much the expected trajectory. He did the other guys <laughs> campaign, Anchorman Two, Get Hard, Ant Man, directs a Marvel movie, then The Big Short, which is a as people know a um you know film about the financial crisis. And then don't look up. Um, so it's always interesting to see people like him. And I guess the other one would be uh, Todd Phillips, who directed Joker, move from comedy into more serious films. Like I think um, Todd Phillips had been known for, have I got this right? Um, yeah, like Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, basically the same kind of movies that Adam McKay was making. Yeah. And then went that's into... Such a, that's a weird jump, yeah. Yeah, and then went into... like He did, he did like Hangover movies 
and then yes yeah, suddenly jumping into like joker and war dogs and and movies that are very much um tra- traumatic i guess so it's cool to see it's it's just it's just cool to see people making that kind of a transition it reminds me of when like a game developer goes from like you know kill zone to uh horizon zero dawn or something or like crash bandicoot to the last of us it's like oh wow yeah, that, I love that. <laughs> that was the the comparison i was gonna make yeah it's like it's it's funny look looking at, at adam mckay's sort of stuff like even when you mentioned ant-man like he obviously did was sort of like the go-to guy for a lot of the will ferrell movies but like even when you look at ant-man you can you can sort of see like his fingerprints are, are sort of all over that especially with like mm-hmm. um who was michael pena's character in that how he was sort of explaining the yeah. story and it's like flashback he's, he's talking like this yeah, and it was, so it was funny. like fast cuts i was like <laughs> that's adam mckay's sort of like style of humor right there um yeah like it, it's an interesting sort of trajectory but mm. yeah he's he's doing quite well that's it so moving on sasha baron cohen has done like the second borat movie like a couple of years ago and i think you mentioned the pixar movie he did luca still need to check that one out but i'm sure it's good because they all are uh gary <laughs> gary cole who plays ricky bobby's old man he's been in so many great comedies over the years going all the way back to like office space he was in dodgeball um, as one of the commentators and he's a, he's so good in this movie but he's been mostly doing tv the last couple of years ncis he's on mixed dish he was on veep for like the entire run as well uh, and the last uh actor f- that i'll talk about from this movie was leslie bibb who plays uh the wife of both ricky bobby and cal <laughs> carly <laughs> bobby <laughs> And I just thought I'd mention her because she has reprised her roles from Iron Man and Iron Man 2. She was Christine Everhart from the Daily Bugle and she, she brought that character back in the What If animated series on Disney+. Plus. Which oh, is cool. yeah. I forgot about that. As well as, apparently, yeah, she's in Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix as well. So, she's still working. Good on her. Uh, that's it for what have you done for me lately Tilby we're getting into the categories what's the most 2000s moment this is honestly the most difficult part or the most difficult question I had Mm. to answer throughout the entire list Um, why is that I guess it I guess it's probably credit to the way that the, the the movie was done like you look at the the way that they filmed the NASCAR scenes and and obviously it's it's just very interchangeable like if you told me that this if you hadn't told me that this was in 2006 i would have said oh look they're filming you know a a nascar movie in 2020 or 2021 like i couldn't tell like (laughs) unless you were a a super you know massive fan of the sport and you were like okay those cars are from 2006 it's a you know a a ford mustang blah 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 it's Mm. like i couldn't tell like and you know regular fans of of Will Ferrell who probably aren't fans of NASCAR probably wouldn't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm with you there. Like I wrote the note that I wrote down was could have easily been set in the eighties or nineties. Yeah. I, I think because absolutely. they are these, for lack of a better term, like redneck kinds of community, <laughs> the references yeah. that they make are things like white snake and, um, you know, uh, who was the other musician they mentioned? It's just like all these like, 
hair metal bands from the 80s and stuff so yeah it's not something I, that they're like I, I think messing around with the latest technology and that kind of thing <laughs> like at a stretch you could probably say like ricky naming his kids walker and texas ranger <laughs> um especially in the mid 2000s the whole like chuck norris meme was was pretty big true um so like that that could have been something other than that maybe like um the sort of like track suits that they wear to 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 dinner um <laughs> but other than that like maybe even some of the sponsorships i'm sure wonder bread is still you know pretty big in the u.s i haven't really checked but red bull yeah, seems it, like it, a 2000s thing to me yeah as well yeah like it's just very difficult to sort of date this movie which i guess is credit to you know the film in general but yeah. it was very difficult for me to go okay this is so typically 2000s like mm. as, as it was for like zoolander when they're pulling out the small phone or yes. you know at the vh1 awards this was just very i don't want to, don't want to say cookie cutter but it was very hard to really place that yeah i agree um the only thing that i could think of was the nascar video game that he's playing at the, oh, yeah. <laughs> at, at the bar or whatever like w- whenever you see a video game the graphics date it to a specific era you know so that's probably the most t- specifically 2000s thing that i could think of but yeah. if, you, if you're going to kind of zoom out from the actual content um or the like the design of the movie the style of comedy is very 2000s the way that there's clearly so much improvisation on set that's that judd apatow kind of uh, influence he was a producer on the film and has clearly worked a lot with adam mckay um so they've they've got that pedigree together as well as will ferrell being so, so you know such a big part of that as well later it was like more the seth rogan's and people like that that yeah. were doing the improv comedy but you can see it really um not 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 started with these guys but it was certainly something that became more common to see on the big screen these scenes where once you know that that's the way they do it you can tell like okay they probably did 10 takes of this and set a different joke every time and you get to see some of that in the end credits which is pretty fun yeah i was about to say like they the way that they sort of like obviously went one and then two, and then three, and it was yeah. just like, okay, we'll go with the best one for that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it's obviously a very typical thing with the the way that a lot of those guys um did humor in in the mid two thousands. But mm. I guess it really just benefited the the movie greatly, to be honest. I think so. Um. Yeah, definitely. So especially watching those end credits, it seemed like John C. Riley fit right in with that approach and you could have taken any one of his improvs for the way he sees jesus <laughs> baby jesus his visions which takes us to the most iconic scene because i had the, the the dinner grace um okay that was the one for me it's the one that i think of when i think of this movie is will ferrell sitting there praying to baby jesus um and that scene actually goes for a really long time it's like yeah three and a half four almost five minutes and it starts off he's praying to baby jesus and that's hilarious six six pound (laughs) baby jesus his gold diaper (laughs) and then it goes into you know he mentions his son walker and his son texas ranger so you get that dropped there (laughs) and then it's kind of interrupted 
the, the, the prayers interrupted and they start talking about the way they like to picture Jesus, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> picture him with big wings or he's like, like he's flying in and the lead like singer, hobo. <laughs> like Leonard Skinner or whatever. And then it ends with like the Powerade section where he's like obligated to mention Powerade, yeah. <laughs> even when he's Waiting saying for grace. The, the flavor. <laughs> <clears throat> and then it rolls into blast. <laughs> it rolls into kind of one of the B plots of the movie, which is the kids just abusing their grandfather and not having any respect for adults and that kind of thing, which you know becomes more of a plot point later to the side. So it, it kind of it, it hits you with a bit of everything that's going on in this movie, um, including the relationship between Cal and Ricky. And I, I just love that scene. It, it really like sums up the whole movie for me. The style of humor. Mm. There's a shake and bake in the middle of the prayer as well. <laughs> it's just got everything. So it's, it's super rewatchable. And it's the kind of clip that you could just pull up on YouTube and watch. And I do have another scene here. But what, what did you have for most iconic? And also, what did you think of, of the Grace scene in general? I think the Grace scene sort of had a little bit of everything that made this movie so great. Um, the ironic you know, product placement, I think, was pretty oh, yeah. stock standard for these sorts of movies. The Taco Bell. Um, yeah, delicious. <laughs> my, my plentiful bounty of Domino's, KFC, and the ever, ever tasty Taco Bell. Um, the product placement, the the abuse of elder, uh, elderly people uh, making out gratuitously in front of kids. Yes. Um, and yeah, like it, it was just everything that was, you know, was funny about those sort of movies at that time. Um, Even when he's he's thanking God for his beautiful uh, hot wife. And um, <laughs> Cal's like, mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, that's foreshadowing his attraction to her later on as well, which, yeah. <laughs> she walked right up to me and grabbed me in the crotch. <laughs> oh, man. Um, for me, it has to be Ricky doing his ad reads in front of the car about how he's just like you know reading ads for like Tampax the official sponsor tampon sponsor of NASCAR and obviously like Big big, big Red if you don't shoot Big Red then f*** you like it was that was all that anyone quoted in our our family afterwards whenever we saw it it was just like the it's very quotable the yeah immediately quotable because I felt like this is one of the few movies I felt that was like probably less quotable than most of Will Ferrell's stuff. Obviously, Zoolander, is, to me, is like the, the pinnacle for, for quotables, but this oh, one was a little bit... It's got to be Anchorman. I, both are up. I think yeah. both are up there, to be honest, but this was this was tougher to, to sort of really pin down as mm. like actual massive quotables, but yeah, that, 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 scene, that scene where he's just doing the ad reads and you're... <laughs> packs of stray dogs that control most of the major cities <laughs> it's, and then there's ad, like the, ad reasons the dogs that are like snow blindness <laughs> dogs suffer from snow blindness public service announcement is that part of a bigger uh, montage at the start of the film as well as he's becoming successful or is it separate well, he, to he that? D- well, no, he. I think that's as he's getting successful. Yeah. He's doing all of these ad reads because of his success. Um, yeah, and then the prune candy, <laughs> um, like that was for me like one of the big ones. Um, I, I think that was the big one for me. And I think obviously, 
I'll discuss it a little bit later as well, but him running around um, <laughs> when he thinks he's on fire, yeah, yelling out, "Help me, Jesus! Help me, Tom Cruise!" Um, I'll I'll, ha- I'll have something to mention about that okay. um, in one of our later questions, but that was a, a big one for me. Sure. The, so the other most iconic scene that I had that I just wanted to throw out there is the hospital scene, um, when when Cal and uh, Michael Clark Duncan's character go there to, you know, convince him that he's not paralyzed, and they when he shoves the knife into his own leg, the knife in his leg, and then they shove another knife into the leg to get the other yeah. knife out. I, I was going to say had like, me rolling. That, that that was like the the one of the best parts of Michael Clark Duncan's character was like, okay, if we use a second knife to yeah. pry the first knife out of his leg, I was like, what are you doing, you idiot? Yeah, that, was, that like I felt like that was like one of the big ones and then like obviously the the blooper at the end of michael clark duncan being like at night i pretend like i dress up like donna summers and put like four inch heels on and he's like singing i was like that's the stuff that i don't see too often from a guy like michael clark duncan Mm -hmm. which was why it was so great yes rest in peace big man Uh, well Mm -hmm. i don't don't know how tall he actually was because I think they they played he up his, pretty tall in yeah. this movie. <laughs> let me let me quickly look this up because they they definitely played up his height in um, Green Mile to make him look way taller than he actually was. Uh, he was okay. He was six foot five. Yeah, that's okay. pretty tall. But the, yeah, I think in Green Mile they they made him look like he was seven foot or something. They did some camera tricks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the next question is: What holds up the best? I just had the chemistry of of um, Will Ferrell and, and John C. Riley. Like that was that pairing is is so good. It's something we got again in Step Brothers, which I'm sure wouldn't have happened without this movie. So yeah, that's like its whole. That's a whole other thing that we're gonna have to do a comedy rewind at some point. But it really started uh, with this film, and they just work so well together. Like they just, mm-hmm. they are they're like brothers, really. Like it's the best way to put it. Um, so yeah, that that was what I thought held up the best. What did you have? I sort of had the the authenticity for NASCAR. I think even if mm. this wasn't a Adam McKay movie that had you know Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and all the comedians in it, like, and it's this was just like a straightforward like racing movie. It would it would feel legit. Um, like, like they could have easily have just gone without the the approval of NASCAR and been like, this is the stock car championship, and but they they went above and beyond and got like Dale Earnhardt Jr. in it and Jamie McMurray, who were both you know well established NASCAR drivers at the time, and they got the the approval of like Bristol and obviously Talladega and and Daytona, and like they really went above and beyond with the sponsors with it as well. Like mm. that must have cost quite a bit, but like. Yeah, they, they really went above and beyond with the authenticity for it and making it really feel like it was NASCAR, like it was a big deal at the time. So, yeah, the authenticity was and for that and like sports broadcasting. They got the official like commentary teams oh, yeah. for, for Fox Sports for who were doing NASCAR at the time. Like they got everyone in there and it, like they made it feel legit. Um, Are you a NASCAR fan? Uh, in you passing, seem to know a bit about it. <laughs> uh, in passing, like it, it's definitely not something that I could sit and watch for, you know, six hours of my day of people turning left for you know, mm. three hundred laps. But 
you, you'd learn that sort of stuff on the fly if you're you know if someone like me who, who loves their motorsport their formula one their v8s like you, you pick that sort sort of stuff up pretty easily um but yeah like it, it, it they definitely went above and beyond for for sort of that level of of authenticity for sure like even in the, the sort of final scene where they're sort of introducing the the drivers at talladega like you could almost tell like that was a legitimate like they were just obviously doing the actual drivers and they're like okay let's get the the comedic the the you know storyline drivers to be introduced obviously as part of the promotion for it so yeah. but like yeah it, it's definitely authentic in that sense um the other one i had was just like the the editing and what they were doing for the actual races i felt was like once again take out the comedic aspect for it and this would have been a really well shot and well edited um motorsport movie like i felt like mm. it was really well done very reminiscent of like days of thunder or like driven or those sorts of movies um it was very like very well shot yeah interesting can you explain to me what the slingshot movie is because it was this <laughs> it was this repeated thing that they were kept referring to as like uh cal is helping ricky bobby win with the slingshot move and it seemed like a big part of the strategy from whoever was in front was blocking the person behind from overtaking yeah. and, and somehow having an extra person out there could help you win. So can you explain to me what the slingshot is? So when you are behind a car, uh, so basically when you're driving normally, you, the, the sort of wind resistance happens and you're basically driving through dirty air. Mm-hmm. When you're behind a car and getting the sort of wind resistance off them, you're getting clean air which makes it easier to gain speed it happens a lot in formula one where if you're behind a car you're drafting a car essentially you're getting the clean air which allows you to uh, i guess streamline the the flow on of of wind resistance and you get better downforce and you go faster Um, what's happening with the slingshot is if ricky's behind cal and he's driving behind him getting the clean air he's driving faster and then he's able to sort of generate that sort of speed quicker. And then if he, so if he Cal peels off, faster. Yeah. he gets he gets better speed out of, out of that sort of drafting, okay. essentially. So he's sort of picking up more speed behind the, the wind resistance of the car in front. So he's able to generate that speed. And when Cal peels off, he's able to drive quicker and sort of get past, I guess, mm. if Jean Girard is in front. So yeah, it's, it's a hard it's thing to illustrate in a film like this. I was it's, just like, it's a hard just, thing to illustrate in audio on a yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it now, but it, the, the way that they did it was kind of like hard to you just, like. You just had to like the way that they were talking about it had to sell it more than actually seeing what they were doing because it's not something yeah. you can just tell is happening. The thing that I didn't understand was like, can the drivers hear each other <laughs> because they were talking to their pit crew, but then they were talking to each other as well. No, so they can they can hear their like if lucius was talking to uh ricky they can hear each other that's their sort of race engineer that they can talk to yeah um but the the drivers cannot hear each other um i, f- I figured that it, but they kind of in played real around life, with that yeah well yeah like in real life they shouldn't be able to but that's sort of why when um cal in the the final scene or the final race was sort of motioning doing, for the slingshot yeah. he was doing the, the hand signals okay. because they can see um, in in their mirror behind them, like they they can see them doing that. So it's yeah. like that's sort of what they do in real life. Is like if if someone is pulling off to the pits, they'd go, 
sort of like a hand signal like i'm going mm. that way so that they don't dive in that way and cause a crash or something right. so yeah it's it's hard to explain like there are certain aspects that this movie does quite well and and i guess certain aspects that it probably plays up um and i'll, I'll explain them a little bit later for sure is it the macchiato <laughs> Well, I don't think anyone is going to be drinking macchiatos in a real NASCAR race, to be honest. But, Except for yeah. a Frenchman. <laughs> Frenchman. Yeah. Okay. Um, what holds up the worst besides the macchiato? For me, I, I think just generally the blatant homophobia is, That's is probably absolutely it for me. It's probably yeah. like probably it, and it, there's kind of two waves of it. So there's the initial introduction to this um, French character. And the revelation that he's gay and everyone kind of just being like horrified. And that continues as he kind of tries to almost force a kiss with (laughs) Ricky Bobby. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, you have it come full circle where they're kissing each other. Um, And sure, it's, it's funny because it's a character that didn't want to do that and now he's doing it. But I feel like now... That would totally be seen as, oh, what? Is it funny to you that two men kiss? Like, why is that funny? Am I a joke to you? Yeah. Like, that would be kind of the way that it would be interpreted, which is a, you know, it's a fair, if that's if that's your reaction to that, that's fair. Um, so I, I think that definitely wouldn't um, wouldn't be sitting there these days as, as kind of a no, key it, pop, pop it point. <laughs> wouldn't fly today. Um, like, if and, they were making a film like this today, it would be difficult to to really pull that off Um, you could pull it off because part of the joke is i guess that these are backwards people this community of rednecks is so not down for that and uh it's it's almost like laughing at those people for being backwards that's how the borat movies basically work um it's 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 highlighting prejudice but that's not what i don't think that's what they were doing here i think that that's i think they genuinely were kind of making fun of of the character um and his proclivities well yeah even like the 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 speed report that they did in that profile of him and then at the end the the two commentators were just like mouth agape like absolutely shocked i was like that's the most like blatant like a disrespect towards anyone who is lgbtqi i've ever seen (laughs) like without you know any sort of slurs like you couldn't make it any any more blatant than that um there was also some some use of the r word in there um near the the start of the movie which you know different times obviously but you definitely couldn't say that in today's society um uh i mean it's it's tough yeah like that's the homophobia is probably the big one and then obviously like we were sort of mentioning it earlier like the the idea that america is number one and if you are from a different country you are immediately the the bad guy like that sort of like yeah. cold war era style of of, of thinking but yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's definitely um it's definitely still a thing. I feel like yes, <laughs> um, even in like action, it's like action movies. It's pretty much it's just the villain changes from Russian to Arab to you know whatever it is like Eastern Europe. Like it's, it's always 
it's always just whoever's a safe villain, you know, a safe country to make the villain in, in your movie at the time. But um, well, yeah, because yeah. obviously Americans don't like the French even now. I think they've they've always not been particularly fond of each other. But I guess that was probably an easy target. Um, I did remember one of the other things that hold up the worst is because we were literally talking about the authenticity for like presentation for NASCAR. Uh, the rules and regulations of NASCAR was <laughs> a little bit out the window. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying like, you know, those, the videos on YouTube from like GQ or Vanity Fair where they get like an expert in their chosen field to review certain scenes of a movie and be mm-hmm. like, this holds up this doesn't this is what's relevant to me like they had uh like tony hawk for skateboarding movies and cm punk right. for wrestling movies uh they actually had uh daniel ricardo the f1 driver for like racing and, and motorsport movies and um like he did days of thunder and he did like the fast and the furious for some reason um and then he also did talladega nights and he did the scene where ricky's running around thinking he's on fire mm-hmm. um it was interesting that he he sort of said the way that the the fireproof suits are made um they technically can sort of like hide the fact that someone's on fire so you could be on fire but it wouldn't technically show it it would sort of like hide it or mask the fact that you're burning so regardless of whether he is on fire or not and he claims that he's on fire the marshals should have immediately extinguished him regardless Mm. like so he's like, shame on them for, for injuring my poor Ricky Bobby like that. They shamed um, him. And then his his like tidy whities he's running around in. Um, well, that's sort of not accurate. How, well, he sort of talks about how most, most cars now have sort of like a five-point belt. So it's like across the shoulders and then down near the crotch where it sort of like clicks in. He said like he could easily lose a nut if like his, his baggy... Um, underwear isn't like streamlined most drivers will wear like sort of tighter fitting underwear to keep that all all that stuff Mm. sort of tucked in so um interesting sort of stuff there and then i guess like obviously the end scene where both both lead drivers crash out on the final lap and then run to the finish line (laughs) um obviously if that happens i think the race just stops or they restart the race at you know single file because like they're the only two cars left and there's six laps left the amount of time it takes under the safety car to i guess clean everything up and get it all finished they'd either Mm. yellow flag it and they would just end the race under a caution or they would red flag red flag the race and just stop because like a crash of that magnitude just doesn't happen right yeah i did like that the movie like you know they got to the finish line and the announcer's like these guys are obviously disqualified (laughs) yeah <laughs> it's like oh good it's the craziest thing i've ever seen <laughs> yeah um one other thing that definitely doesn't hold up is uh sasha baron cohen's french accent oh it's, it's terrible, terrible. It's and to a, to a comedic level sure but it doesn't even seem accurate it just seems like and we're not we're not like french experts here but like he's british i'm sure he could do a a better French accent but it's like they were just like oh turn it up to like 10 no that's not high enough turn it up to 20 like Ricky Bobby like this and he's just like <laughs> gurning every time he says the words Ricky Bobby yeah anyway I thought that was funny um, the product placement something that I saw a lot of 
criticisms of in reviews that I was looking at on Rotten Tomatoes. But that's like that's what NASCAR is, right? Like there's it's, that's what NASCAR it's, it's blatantly is blatantly like, product placement. <laughs> but that's like, and I think that's part of the humor as well. The fact that yeah. it's like, we thank you for this bounty, bountiful, you know, harvest of Dominoes and KFC. Like yeah. that's part of the humor. I think that's definitely that's part and parcel of the way that motorsport and NASCAR is. So I I don't have any problem with it. No, it's all good. Um, who would be most offended? I think that's. Possibly a tie between actual NASCAR <laughs> fans well, and yeah. the, the kind of the you know the the queer community. <laughs> yeah, like I had I had the LGBTQI community, uh, the French, French, and maybe even, maybe even people in the US Deep South. Like, yeah, just as sort of like a general guide. Just yeah, bit of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, does it pass the internet relevancy test? Yes definitely yes, does absolutely <laughs> there's a few things that you see quite a lot um what do i do with my hands that's the big one that was the big one for me yeah um don't you put that evil on me that's that's a big one yeah that was another big one and then i think and shake and, and bake in, as well shake and bake's like third place yeah yeah were there any others that come to mind they i mean they were the big ones i think um I really can't think of anything like you see those ones all the time nowadays, regardless of whether it's in a a motorsport discussion or not. Yeah. Um, how would modern smartphones and social media change this movie? Ugh, not significantly. It would just change the presentation of it, really. Like instead of the news reports that they show, it would be Instagram videos. Like Ricky, Ricky would do like an ad read for like a huawei phone or something yeah but like it yeah. wouldn't change it in any sort of massive um, you know standpoint that's it yeah and that kind of leads us into what like could you make it today and what would the 2021 version be i feel like it's almost the, the style of this movie is almost too silly like they don't really make them this way anymore it feels like comedies are a lot more grounded at least at this well yeah level. like even even if you were to do like a a motorsport comedy i feel like with the the popularity of shows like drive to survive that was really like a big uh documentary for for formula one for the past sort of couple of years i feel like you could do a like an f1 sort of comedy i feel like that would garner some like mm. decent international viewership but it would be difficult, I think. I, I just think that the the very simple nature of NASCAR sort of lends itself to a comedy like this and it would be difficult to deviate from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like Formula One has become... Like, it's always been big, but I feel like it's hit mainstream in a way that it hasn't before now, Pro probably because of Drive to Survive or whatever that series is. So... The 2021 version might be Formula One. Okay, useless trivia. Just a quick note here. The first 400,000 PlayStation 3 systems included a Blu-ray copy of this movie a month before the DVD release. Damn. <laughs> How about that's that? That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of the, um, like, Spider I think Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2 were bundled in with the PSP back in the day. Oh really? Damn! I, I I got an original PSP and I never got 
copy of Spider-Man. Yeah, maybe it was a off. maybe it was a launch thing. Sony, yeah, bit of, exactly. you know, cross promotion with Sony, or maybe it was just a US only thing. Anyway, it's time for the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi, a real spark plug. There's some really great smaller roles in this movie. I I did not remember Jane Lynch being in this film and she looks so different with like long hair I feel like long hair yeah I yeah. feel like you know we know her from 40 year old virgin which came out before this she had that signature short haircut Glee came out and kind of put her on the map and everything else that we've seen her in she's got that same kind of look and almost the same yeah. character really <laughs> so it was interesting <laughs> to see her here playing like a kind of a warm like nurturing a mother sort yeah of. yeah <laughs> um andy richter's great with not much to work with here uh jack mcbrayer's really good as the the pit crew yeah. member i think amy adams deserves a shout out not huge fan of the character and the kind of you know forced love interests in the 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 geeky turned hot love interest yeah. that always seems to come it's at like you. oh you took your glasses off and now you're hot <laughs> Um, yeah, doesn't doesn't happen like that. <laughs> Molly Shannon, I really liked her role as the um, the wife to uh, what's his name, Dennett Junior. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and Greg German is fantastic in that role. He he's always good in comedies. He's always playing kind of a, a smaller role, and he's he's just always good. But um, I, I really like Molly Shannon's role as that drunk wife that uh, isn't, isn't too happy <laughs> with 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 how things are going. So I, I want to give it to Molly. But who do you think deserves it the most? Look, it was for me. Yeah, it was a tie between Jack McBrayer, um, who like well before Thirty Rock was yeah. playing his character really in in 30 rock um, basically in everything was, he does it was it was it was funny like seeing guys like um david keckner was in there too david keckner is his name yeah, yeah like all the, all of those sort of guys in the pit crew and and sort of seeing you know it's basically jobs for the boys you know getting a, yeah. a couple of scenes at, at talladega um so yeah jack mcbrayer's role was good and then he I, it was absolutely a tie between him and uh and molly shannon like i, I obviously you know michael clark duncan was in the role when his role too much to really be considered but i wanted to give special yeah com, you know con- <laughs> consideration for him because like the comedic role he played in certain parts was was fantastic but mm. yeah for me it's it's uh jack mcbrayer or, or molly shannon sure sure the tie break we'll give it to molly uh i think that's fair but um, yeah, shout out to Michael Clark Duncan because he does fit it as far as like when he shows up, it's always it's always really good. But the 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 line reading of "Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby" is up there. Like, passionate. It's, it's, just, it's passionate. It's just like <laughs> you could you could put that in an in an Oscar reel, and it would be like yeah, it wouldn't be out of place. It's like oh, that, you wouldn't know what it's from. Yeah, you'd be like, like oh, that movie looks really good. good. I, I need to see that movie, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know who Ricky Bobby is, but damn, he's he's in he's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is Talladega Nights still a good movie? Yes, and I say that you took a pause. Barely, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I say barely. Like I having not watched this movie for a long time and sort of 
I guess having those sort of rose tinted glasses on it I I think I always loved it as a kid and I think it was just that sort of silly humor mm. um, having watched it over the, the weekend it's there's a lot of it that there's parts that don't work yeah parts that don't work don't hold up um, some of the humor is perhaps too silly and mm. and that's just the the sort of possibly the nature of how overblown and, and sort of eccentric some of these characters are to the point of them being unlikable i think you, you sort of touched on ricky yeah. bobby being a bit of a, a dick and you know when he does get his comeuppance and, and sort of falls on hard times you can't really sympathize with him um and sort of as he goes through that days of thunder you know redemption arc it was difficult to really be like oh damn maybe we should feel for ricky bobby here but <laughs> like it's interesting like you you could easily like i've said a countless times already in this review you take the the humor out of it take the comedy out of it and it's basically you know the road the, the typical road to redemption motorsport movie that you know you've probably seen mm. a couple of times before in the past but like they've done well to add that sort of typical saturday night live humor to it and and have created a movie that while it's probably not on the the level of a stepbrothers or a zoolander or you know an anchor man it still is a a very worthwhile and and fairly enjoyable uh will ferrell romp like it's probably not up there with some of his most famous characters um like i would hope to god we're not going to be getting a uh a talladega nights 2 in <laughs> in you know 10 years time like most of his other characters seem to have been but it's it's good like i enjoyed it there's there's obviously some really nice quotable lines but yeah it's it holds up on the strength of its characters just being so outlandishly weird and bizarre but yeah i enjoyed it yeah they they almost seem like a like a sketch like a sketch character like basis like they would have worked better (laughs) if you if you take away like you could almost if you took away the scenes that we've talked about as the best ones there's like nothing else really that's yeah. like worth remembering. <laughs> um, so it very easily could have been like a series of SNL sketches in some ways. But you know, as a movie, it works. It's a, it drags a little bit in, towards the end. But um, I think overall, if you're, a, I'll say if you're a Will Ferrell fan or a John C. Riley fan or a Sasha Baron Cohen fan, even it's worth watching this again uh, if you haven't watched it for a long time. And definitely worth the watch if you've never seen it. So I'd say yes, it's still a good movie. It's it is kind of just barely, but enough for me to be comfortable to to recommend it and not cringe. I didn't. Cr- <laughs> I, I definitely I definitely didn't cringe at this movie. I'll say that. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I accidentally said um, 2021 before Matt. It's 2022. Uh, and nobody future, noticed. Baby. Nobody noticed. This is the first <laughs> podcast of 2022. So, thanks for joining me, Matt. It's been great to have you here. It is always good fun joining you for these ones, Jono. Pleasure. So, we want to tell our listeners now to subscribe if you haven't already. Share it with your friends. You can grab your 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net. Uh, we want you to check out our Kofi page as well. That's ko-fi.com/slash/we-are-8-bit. And that's where you can chip in a few dollars a month, even $1 a month to help what we do over here at 8-Bit. Spotify is now taking podcast ratings. Uh, So you can head over to Spotify 
and leave a five-star rating. You can head over to Apple or Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts. I guess it's just those three, really. But you can leave us (laughs) reviews and ratings there anyway. Uh, It really helps us out. We want to thank our Kofi producers. You can catch me on social medias at Johnny himself. You can get Matt at It's Tilby, at least on Instagram and Twitter. Is there anything else you wanted to plug while you're here? Got a few OPGs yeah. dropping. Well, yeah, we just—I just did a uh, one perfect game episode just before the new year with uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, who has just uh, made his debut for Impact Wrestling over the weekend in a, uh, a really awesome uh, Fatal Four Way match before the pay per view. So definitely go check out that episode and check out his match. Um, and we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, and hopefully we are going to be back soon with Hoop Dreams. We've been taking a little bit of a, a hiatus um, as we sort of navigate the topsy-turvy world of basketball and the pandemic. But um, yeah, we may, we may have to come back and do that uh, Lakers biopic and, and, and see how we go. Yeah, yeah, we did the last dance in review last year. So even if we don't have time to talk about NBA, we can talk about NBA adjacent topics till the cows come home (laughs) exactly (laughs) yep all right well dear listeners thank you again for joining us on comedy rewind be kind and rewind